this has been another year where the Lakers have been halted because the guy that they depended their future with, the guy that they went all in for, trading away all the young pieces, just cannot stay on the floor. Hello and welcome to the Friday, March 4th edition of the TV on Basketball Podcast with your host, TV. Hope you're having a fantastic day and thank you for clicking on to watch or listen to today's episode. Of course, before we start, I do have to plug my other platforms. Remember to follow at TV on Basketball on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for updates on the podcast and for other great content. If you're on YouTube, remember to like, share, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you will not miss an episode. And for my podcast listeners, if you're um, listening on Apple, remember to um, subscribe, leave a review, and all that good stuff. And as for my Spotify, Anchor, or Popping listeners, continue to show your support in any way possible. That would be highly, highly appreciated. Took a week off, maybe about, yeah, took about two weeks off um, from the pod, but I'm back today. A lot to talk about. And this is just like the final stretch of the NBA season. We got to know where the seedings are. We're going to know like where the playoff matchups are in the next couple of weeks, which is going to be absolutely fantastic. And we're going to talk a lot about just some crazy storylines that's been happening in the NBA. We're going to talk about the Lakers' downfall, more Zion talk, James Harden in Philly, and also just doing an early review on the NBA draft from last year, so the 2021 draft. We're going to go into kind of who I see as like the biggest deal, rookie of the year, all that good stuff in this episode. So yeah, it's going to be a great episode. Just sit back, relax. And let's jump into the first topic, guys. So we're going to talk about something where, if you've seen me on the This Just In podcast, I did give my thoughts on this team. But I have to bring it to the pod, because the Los Angeles Lakers, <laughs> they have fallen off a cliff. And the thing was, there was like, there was they were never, you know, always, they were never at their full form, if you know what I mean. They had some bad games. Yes, they were healthy for certain points in the season, but if, but Anthony Davis has been in and out the lineup. LeBron has been in and out. Westbrook has been there, but it hasn't been great. But they haven't reached even expectations for myself. I thought they were gonna, they're not going to be as good as people thought they were. I need, I don't think they, I even had them top three. I think they had, I had them like fourth or fifth. But even now, they're still even worse than I expected. Right now, they're sitting ninth in the Western Conference, 27-35. and 35. They are currently on a four-game losing streak, including a loss to their Los Angeles rivals, the Clippers, by 21 points. Now, before I go into the actual Lakers and kind of where, like, where should they go next, what they, like, what's going on right now, a great comparison is their, um, um, basically their rivals in the Clippers, who are missing Paul George. We don't know if he's going to come back this season. Kawhi Leonard, he, I have a good feeling he's not going to come back this season. Same with Norm Powell, who they got to trade in line. He's probably not going to play the remainder of the season. But they're still thirty-four and thirty-one. Not just that, they are almost seven. They are almost six games ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers. And why is that? Why are they getting great production from people like Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann? Even some of their rookie, even like someone like Amir Coffey, is getting some good minutes with the Clippers. Why is that happening? Because they're because of the roster construction, because of the good vibes, because of the coaching. And now we're transitioning into the Lakers. You don't have that. And I said before the season, the, ro- the the construction of this roster was just bad. Trading for Russell Westbrook, you need him to be the number one, not the number one option per se, 
when he needs to be the number one ball handler, he has to be the one dictating the terms of the game. And that was going to be impossible when paired next to LeBron. I don't want to blame everything on Westbrook. He's averaging this season pretty like underwhelming numbers, 18, 7, and 8. But I don't want to blame him solely for this. But it's just him going to the Lakers was always going to be a bad idea. Them kind of like fluffing on a trade for Buddy Heald, which would have been absolutely perfect for this team. And instead going with the star name, with the star power and Russell Westbrook, which ultimately did not fit. It was a problem there. And just looking at the remainder of the roster, you know LeBron's going to do his thing. But Anthony Davidson out the lineup, he's going to be missing the next four to five weeks or probably going to be four weeks by now. Carmelo Anthony, one of their better players this year, averaging 27 minutes a game. He should not be consistently your second or third best player. It just can't happen. Malik Monk, fine. You know, he, he's actually been like a nice like godsend for them. He's been one of the more consistent players. But in looking just up and down the roster, Wayne Ellington's giving you nothing. Taylor Horn Tucker is having an underwhelming season. It's just poor roster construction and to the point where undrafted rookie Austin Reeves is getting a lot of minutes. Which, and he's playing like important minutes too. I mean, yes, he's a shooter, but he should not be this heavily re- um, relied on, especially for a team with championship aspirations. We knew it was just going to be bad. But the fact that, you know, having a Braun there, having Westbrook there, you just thought that they would just kind of force themselves into a playoff spot. But no, they are not. But, uh, like, LeBron is going to keep playing. He even said that he was going to. He said, unless, like, they're completely eliminated out from the playoffs until I'm 12 feet underground and dead, you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, tell me to stay down. But LeBron can only do so much. And when you're having inconsistent play from the rest of your guys, you guys are not playing defense. I think they're currently, like, one of the worst teams defensively, which they were, like, number one last year. They're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're basically middle of the pack in both defense and they're, like, one of the bottom 10 teams in offense. But it was just a bad team constructed. That is really like what it comes down to. Rob Palinka just I'm getting these players, getting these older players, these just bigger names, not thinking of roster construction, and look where they are now. Even the idea of trading Russell Westbrook at the trade deadline, if you really didn't care about picks, you really should have made that trade for John Wall and Christian Wood because honestly, anything could like anything, any time switch up would have been more beneficial than what they have right now. And there's a lot of, you know, coaching hasn't been great. Coaching has definitely not been great. Um, Russell Westbrook not been a great addition. The roster, the roster is not great. One of the only bright spots being LeBron James, who's having a phenomenal year. I don't want to take anything away from him because he is still like number three in scoring in the league. He's just this season still playing 45 games, which is actually a good chunk. 28, 6, and 8. That's LeBron doing LeBron type things. But there's one person I specifically did not mention. And if you listen again to the Distress and Podcast, um, I, I had my full thoughts on this as well. But for me, the main reason why this isn't working is because AD can't stay healthy. That is, for me, the biggest reason why the Lakers um, got eliminated in the first one last year. Um, the fact that they had an underwhelming season because Anthony Davis was just on and off the court. Same thing with this year. AD just can't stay healthy. And we got to like think about him now. Although he is an NBA 75 player, which I was already questioning beforehand. Even though he was like one of the top five players in the league for a long time, we—I don't want to say we want to think of him as Porzingis because poor, like, he is definitely on another level than Porzingis. But in terms of the injuries and the fact that we we talk we, when we talk about Porzingis, you're like you just can't rely on him just because he can't stay on the floor. We gotta talk about that with Anthony Davis. We just got to. And Anthony Davis, I I want to go back to like when he signed that uh, max contract extension, the five-year deal, a few years back. 
Anthony Davis signed it instead of going, you know, waiting until he's 30, you know, signing those, the, like, the short-term deals. I think, like, right now he is age 28, so when he would decide he was, like, 26, instead of, instead of signing a four-year de- four deal, he would decide to go with a five-year deal, and um, people were asking him, you could have ex- um, maximized your money if you went with a four-year deal instead of a five-year deal. Why do that? Why go for the extra year when you know after four years you're going to get that money? And he basically sent that interview. Like why? Like I, there's just some things um, that are just unpredictable. And knowing my history, because he knows his history, he talked about how he knows his history. Sometimes you just gotta take what you can. And that for me right away was a big red flag, because I don't want like again, it's a, a really weird comparison. I'm talking about him and Fred VanVleet. Fred VanVleet, undrafted player, played with the Raptors for a long time, and then at, when his time in free agency came, he bet on himself. He decided to like shop around, look for like better offers, and he knew even though like he didn't sign the contract right away with the Raptors that they offered him earlier on, he bet on himself, saying he's gonna he can he knows he can get more money. And then what he turned out to get four years, eighty four million, which is the biggest payday of his career, I think highest paid undrafted player of all time. So good for him. Andy Davis, the fact that he signed it right away, five years thing, not like anything like you know type of like negotiation process that we heard from our, you know, from his fans from reports. And he just signed it right away, talking about him saying like he doesn't like, like he knows his history and all that. Yes, it's good self awareness, but there's just no confidence. Like he doesn't feel. I don't think he has confidence in himself that he can stay healthy at this point. And now that he has that foot injury, it's like a fractured foot. This has been another year where the Lakers have been halted because the guy that they depended their future with, the guy that they went all in for, trading away all the young pieces, just cannot stay on the floor. And I think more than anything, that is the like number one reason why they haven't been able to, you know, stay competitive the entire year. Westbrook, you can put some blame on him all you want. Frank Vogel, put blame all you want. But I think the whole central idea to this is that the Lakers were trying to build around Anthony Davis. They want him to be the number one option so far. And although, honestly, his whole entire career, he's never really felt like the number one guy. I was like, maybe here in the Lakers, he can get it, like, you know, get the LeBron rub. Maybe LeBron can teach him how to be a leader. They just haven't really had the chance for that. And Anthony Davis, he's only played like what? A total of 37 games this year. He's going to play less than half the season again. And I don't know if that's what the Lakers can really trust on going forward. I know um, Germ from the Stuff About Sports podcast like said on um, the show we were on earlier this week. Sometimes you might just have to blow it up and just like restart. I don't think the Lakers are going to do that because they are one of the biggest markets in the league. They they rely on star power. They have to keep Anthony Davis. they got to keep LeBron. But honestly, that would be kind of the best basketball decision, but there's just no way they're going to do it. Honestly, there's just no way. And the thing is, like honestly, this season, if I'm any team in the playoffs, I'm not scared of the Lakers whatsoever. For me, this season is just a watch for them. And what's sad about this, I just cannot see a move that can inch them closer to their championship goal next year. I just don't see it. Like, what are you going to trade Russell Westbrook for? I don't know. He's, his value is at the lowest has probably been in this career. Anthony Davis, it's not going to, like, his value after, like, injury after injury is just getting worse and worse. LeBron's getting older, so his value is declining. What's there to do now? I mean, they got the championship. That's honestly, like, like all those trading, all that stuff that you did for Anthony Davis, you got the championship in the bubble, everything was worth it. Now just gotta, they now just kind of have to eat dirt. <laughs> they just kind of have to eat dirt the next few years, and I don't know. Maybe some re- maybe resurgence happens last year, next year. 
maybe to trade Russell Westbrook for something and somehow Anthony Davis and LeBron have a relatively healthy year and maybe get back to that point. But that's, for me, highly, highly unlikely. I just can't trust this team. I just, I'm at a point where I just cannot trust this team anymore. They kind of need to like just like rebuild their entire organization. I think get rid of Rob Polinka, start fresh with Frank Vogel. I, th- I don't just I just don't know what they could do. And the Lakers, like I said, they're the star attraction. They need the stars to, um, well that's what they're defined by their stars. And they they're just gonna have to keep them around. They're gonna have to just eat their, maybe just something magically within the organization is gonna turn around. But I don't see it. I just don't see it. Speaking of one f- injured, you know, relatively injured, former Pelican, now we're going to a current Pelican. We're going to talk about Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson um, has not played a game all year. <laughs> he has not played a single game all year. And it's just another, like, year where you feel like something about Zion Williamson, something about, like, his, like, I mean, he is a bulky guy. We always talk about this. But something about his physique just doesn't work in the NBA, and it just feels like it's another year of that. He has a potential. He had a, the potential to play, like, I think, over 200 games over the last three years. This guy has played only 85 games, which is less than half. And there were reports this week talking about him being able to put weight on that leg now, and going to full trading with that. But what that tells me is that he just there's just no way he's playing this year. There's just no way he's playing this year. He was an All Star last year, All Rookie Team the year before that. He showed lots of promise in his young career, 25, 7, and 3. And what's crazy is that he is technically in year 3. Not technically, he is in year 3. And he is eligible for a contract extension this upcoming season. Now, that deal would probably be around 5 years, 180. Because it's going to be like, well, like 25% of the of the cap of the Hulkins. So that's going to be around 5 years, $180 million. But the question is, should the Pelicans resign him? Because if you think about it, the injuries that he has at the moment, the reports saying that he just doesn't trust David Griffin right now, and the fact that we have a relatively small sample size, 85 games, uh, missing, like, he's going to miss, like, less than, ha- like, a potential, like, less than half of games of his career. Is that enough for the like, for the Pelicans to resign him? Because even in those 85 games, this guy has been an absolute monster, extremely efficient, 25-7-3, like I said. But do you still go for it? Do you still go and like um, invest all your assets into keeping Zion Williamson even with his limited play? And for me, because they're a small market team, they almost have to. They almost have to with Zion Williamson. When you have a small market talent, someone who has as big of a name as Zion Williamson, and you can just see the superstar potential oozing out of him. Like we always talked about last year, he had like the high, like one one of the highest um, field goal percentages in the league, sixty one percent from the field. This guy was just a monster inside the paint. But the injuries have just been so bad. The whole like training outside the organization, him like being un- like unhappy with like David Griffin and all that. Lots of lots of red flags there, and just him being able to stay on the court has been bad. But the Pelicans, they have no choice. They have no choice. They've seen what happened with Anthony Davis. He's had a lot of injuries in his career as well, but they stuck with him. And the thing is, I mean, there are there possibilities you could trade Zion? Yeah, for sure. But you have, you built this team. You traded for CJ McCollum. You kept around Brandon Ingram. You got Jonas Valanciunas. You are trying to build a playoff team right there in New Orleans. And if you add Zion to that team in a relatively healthy Zion, like, Someone that can play 75% of the games. Honestly, that team is probably top eight. 
in my opinion, especially with the way the rest of the West looked this year. If they were healthy, if Zion was healthy from the start of the season, I really do believe that they would be a top eight team. I'm just looking at you know the rest of the landscape of the West. But the whole thing here is being able to um, trust like players even with the amount of injuries they have, and this is not like where it's the Lakers or the Knicks where you're like, okay, we can move off this guy because eventually we will get the next guy through free agency, through a trade, just someone wanting to come here because it is, you know, a big market team. The Pelicans don't have that luxury. They need to keep Zion well around by any means necessary. They just have to. And actually, you know, another good thing, I just thought about this right now. If you get a contract extension, if they really want to trade him, it would be a lot easier to trade him for a big piece um, rather than him, you know, signing a qualifying offer, being him becoming an understated free agent, which would be very, very dumb on their part. But, yeah. Um, they just got to find a way to just get him out on the court. Really, that is the biggest thing for Zion right now. Because they're trying to build a team around him. They got CJ McCollum, who's 30 right now. They're not trying to wait. They want to get good now. But Zion is preventing like him not being on the court, preventing them not to happen. And now upcoming, do I think the should they do it right now? I don't think they're going to sign the contract extension this offseason, of course. But the next offseason... The Pelicans just have to. They just have to sign him no matter what. But, 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 there could be some good news here. Because if you remember Joel Embiid in his early seasons, he I think he missed like his first two seasons fully. Like he didn't play a lot of games at all to start of the season. I know he missed his like first two games fully. But then after that, he played a total of, okay, after, after like the end of his rookie contract, he played a total of 94 games. Can Zion get to that point? Probably. If, it, if everything goes to plan, and if he doesn't play the rest of this season, I fully expect them to play next season. But if you look at the Joel Embiid scenario, they still sign him to the max contract. And you know why? Because they still because they, they knew they had something special. But what they did in that contract was adding a bunch of clauses saying if he doesn't meet this amount of game requirements, if his, if his leg becomes injured again, the incentives go down and down and down. So you don't have to pay him as much. If I'm the Pelicans, you got to equip that contract with as much causes relating to Zion's injuries. So just in case it does go right, at least you can like shoulder the load just a little bit better. Like it's going to become at least a little bit less and less. And maybe Zion doesn't want to sign that. Maybe Zion doesn't. But at this point, it's hard. It's tough because like maybe Zion has all the leverage too because they are a small market. He could just like request a trade even though it wouldn't be wise for me for him in the very early stage of his career. But he could do that. He could do that. But if I'm the Pokers, I'm doing everything in, in my like everything possible just so I can have the causes like the like the seventy six day wouldn't be. And hopefully Zion can just stay healthy. They don't mind paying they not they wouldn't mind playing Zion, of course, if he was healthy. Um like Embiid has been like relatively healthy over the last few years. But that's always a question mark with Zion, and I don't know if that's gonna go away anytime soon. Zion is, I don't see him coming back to court this, next year, next year, um, this year, next year is the big test though, next year is the big test, if he doesn't stay on the floor there, then Pelicans fans, I would be very, very worried, let's move on to the next topic though, we're going to move on to the Philadelphia 76ers and kind of how good they've been ever since acquiring James Harden, because right now they're sitting number two in the east, they just overtook the, um, the, 70, uh, the Bulls the other night, and now they're number two, four and zero when James Harden's in the lineup. Oh, sorry, three and zero when James Harden's on the lineup, and they've looked great. 
They look absolutely fantastic, battering the Timberwolves once, the next twice, and they their offense just look absolutely fluid. In the first game, James Harden, as he does, he puts up mass performances, 27-8-12 against the the um, Minnesota Timberwolves. And him and Joel Embiid, and this is like kind of one of my concerns as the trade was happening um, before, like during the trade um, during the trade deadline, I was going to be like, look, when you got James Harden and Joel Embiid, you're going to be a phenomenal team. But I was like, that pick and roll is going to take a while to get used to because Joel Embiid is a post-up guy. I don't think he really runs too much pick and roll. He's not really a lob threat, which James Harden has had his entire career. So it's going to be a different kind of feel with Joel Embiid. But man, <laughs> that pick and roll duo has just looked amazing over the first three games. Embiid is averaging 30, like, has had a 34-point game, a 37-point game, 27-point game. And in each of those games, he's had at least 13 free throws, including one game where he attempted 27 free throws, which is the highest of his career. And you know why that's the case? James Harden is just putting him in scenario and like in situations where, firstly, you're just not going to stop Embiid. He is one of the best centers in the league, like one of the best players in the league. So what are you going to do when he's in the paint? You're either he's either going to finish on top of you just because he's that good, or you have to foul him. And when you foul him, Joel Embiid is one of the best free throw shooting big men in the league. He's averaging 81% of the free throw line. It's just unstoppable. And if you focus on Embiid, you got Harden. <laughs> and Harden is a multiple-time um, MVP runner-up, one-time MVP. So it's really to pick your poison. And honestly, that duo, at least so far, I know it's a small sample size. I know it's against the, Timberwol the Timberwolves and the Knicks. I mean, the Timberwolves are a good team. But the Knicks are, you know, the Knicks. But just them, like, working together, they have this connection right away. And it just seems to be working out every single time. And the way it's doing it, it's not like Embiid is like getting told to like go for lobs or anything. But that simple pocket pass that James Harden likes to do, where they're he's, they're kind of in between like the paint and the like the paint and the three point line, he just dumps it off to Embiid, let Embiid either pick and pop, one of the best mid range shooters in the league, get to the rim, finish, or go to the free throw line, which we, it's almost like it's just very good for Joel Embiid there. And honestly, it just been such a just a great thing for this team and it's just like a deadly deadly combo and i think already even though three games in i think this is going to work out and i think this team is in for a very long playoff run injury barring injury barring for sure but another person i do want to talk about here just getting like the james harden drum someone who has been like helped out a lot here tyrese maxey tyrese maxey was their point guard for the majority of the season and when I when he um, came um, when James Harden came over, I was like, "This is gonna hurt, hurt Tyrese Maxey's um, production. I don't know how he's gonna fit well, especially because he was the number one ball handler for the majority of the year." But he's just gotten better. He has produced some of the best games he's had all season long, and probably the best three game stretch of his career with James Harden on the court. In his first game with the Minnesota, 28, 21 versus Knicks in the second game, and twenty five in the third game, which I think he just completely took over the second half. Massey is has so much less pressure on him because Harden's doing all the handling. And when it gets to um, Tyrese Maxey, he can either shoot the three ball, which he's doing very good right now, um, going 9-4-14 um, in, in, in the three games here. Or just getting to the rim, which he's been absolutely fantastic at, getting to the free throw line, hitting his free throws. He is just benefiting a lot from James Harden. And honestly, it just, just shows that how much, like how everyone's job is just easier with James Harden on the court. And B talked about it after the first game. It's like, this is the life I live. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. 
he talked about how he's never had like like someone who put as much pressure on the ball as James Harden did. Like a lot of like he just drags so much attention, which makes everything for Embiid and honestly for the rest of the 76ers just a lot easier. And it's just great, great to see. But the one person who hasn't been really been um getting like much of the limelight here and someone who's actually been struggling to find his role, Tobias Harris. And look, it's been it's honestly been getting better game by game. The first game, like he barely did anything, six points, two for nine shooting. But in the next game, twelve points. And next game, 14. And some people are kind of worried about his role in the team because, honestly, he's been reduced to a number four option. Tyrese Maxey is the number three option. But I said this on the Dishes and Podcast because we did discuss this a little bit. Tobias Harris is someone that we know that can average 20 points a game pretty easily. And although he has been reduced to a number four option, which is something that I think he hasn't like faced in a long, long time, he's he's that good of a player where like you just you just know that like you just have to you know keep him in mind. He could have like a two, like a thirty point outburst in the playoffs, or in a time where they needed, where like James Harden's off and beat is off. Tobias Harris can go in and actually give you that twenty or thirty points that you need because you know that he's capable of doing so. And I just think it's just like earlier on. I think he's gonna find his role eventually. He's gonna he's gonna hit more of those open shots eventually. And I think this team's gonna be really really good playing together. They, it may take some time for Tobias Harris. I think he's the one who has to do most of the, you know, most of the changing for sure. But I still think he'll be a very, very good option and a key option if they want to go really far into this playoffs. But again, one thing about I do want to say before we move off the topic is that it's only been three games. They're kind of in the honeymoon phase. You're like, oh my god, this is fantastic. Wait till they have to face some adversity. And then in this next week, you're going to see some crazy teams are going to go against because they're going to face the Cavs. Then they got to face the Heat. Then they got to face the Bulls. Then they got to face the Nets. Magic, yeah, but then they got to face the Nuggets, Cavs, Mavs, and the Raptors, and then the Heat. <laughs> That's like a stretch where there's like 9 out of 10 playoff teams. And this is where we're going to finally see, especially over this next week when they're facing the Heat, Bulls, and Nets, what they're really made of. Because these are teams they're going to be like directly competing with in the playoff picture. And if they could show that they can translate their play into those three games and and maybe go two and one, three and zero. Oh, that's when we can really start saying, "Oh, the seventy six er team, they're gonna be for real, or they kind of are just fakers." This is where we're gonna get that answer. Maybe not. Is it definitive? No, but we're gonna definitely learn a lot about this team over the next coming week. But now let's move on to the next topic. And for this time, before we get into other news and notes, we're going to go over kind of my review of the NBA 2021 draft. Because where we are right now, March 4, 2022, we got a good sample size of what these rookies look like. And I'm basically going to be talking about kind of my, like, early kind of impressions of them. I have four categories here. I'm going to look at biggest steal of the draft, early bust, brightest future, and rookie of the year. And I'm going to be basically going to a little bit into depth of like how I feel about this draft. Because, man, this draft is looking good. There there are a lot of people I'm not going to um, mention in this draft class. 
but I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of very solid players to very good players that can develop over the next few years. And then we're going to start off with the biggest deal. And for me, it really comes down, like, like there are a lot of people that can, like, be really good over, you know, the next few years. Like, seeing someone like how um, Alperen Shengun has been for the Rockets. He has had a role, but I think he can get better there. Josh Christopher. Quentin Grimes, if he's getting the opportunity. Bones Highland for the Denver Nuggets, who they got in the end of the first round. Even someone like a Cam Thomas. A Dayron Ta- Sharp, who's been getting minutes for them. But for me, um, for the, those are for the Nets. But it really comes down for two people for me. And they're both second-round picks, which is absolutely crazy. But for me, the biggest steal of the draft is either going to be Herbert Jones or Ayo Desumu. And for me, I got to go with Herbert Jones here. For me, he has been, so far, the biggest deal of the draft. Someone who has been a consistent starter for the Orleans Pelicans, starting 50 out of the out of 59 games that he's played. Nine points, four rebounds, two assists doesn't sound too crazy, but for a second-round rookie, has looked great. Has been fantastic on the defensive end, which is kind of helping the Pelicans a lot because they got a lot of scoring and um and CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Jonas Valanciunas is not known for his defense whatsoever. But someone who's averaging almost a block a game, one and a half steals per game, and just someone who has a defensive impact, can switch onto players. He's six eight, good like um, defender in general. He has been absolutely great for them. Maybe it's someone you could put with Zion as well. I don't know if like center Zion is still going to be a thing, but honestly, I think that could be really good if you can add, add Herb Jones somewhere into that lineup because I think he just fits very nicely. Like he just seems like a really good player, and second round pick. I think he has a bright future ahead of him. Maybe not like a star level player, but I think this guy is going to be in the league for a long, long time. But looking at Ayo Desumu as well, and I think like his role has been elevated a lot, mostly due to the fact that Lonzo Ball has been injured. Um, of course, um, you're missing Alex Crusoe as well, but him this year, 8.4 points per game, two rebounds, three assists, someone who is decent on the defensive end, played 58 games, started 24 of them. He's just been solid. He makes the right play. He plays hard on the defensive end and I, and him being a Chicago guy, him being already a fan favorite over there, um, it's, it's been good for them. And I think that if he does need to like step into like a bigger role in the future, he has that possibility for sure. But either way, I still think that this guy um, is going to play a key role for them even this season. I don't know, like, kind of like where he fits, like, like when the playoffs come around. But I do I do know that the, the Bulls will want this guy on the court. He is a good player. And if you ask any Bulls fan, they're going to talk about how Ayo Desumu has been kind of a godsend for them. Someone they drafted in the second round. And just like a huge fan of his as well. So, yeah, those two are my biggest steals of the draft. Early bust. I hate doing this, I, I, but I always do this just because I just want to see like how bad this take is gonna be. Because I remember in the in the past, I think I put on a graphic saying the biggest bust from like um, two years ago was gonna be Darius Garland, <laughs> and seeing how he's an All Star this year, like you could just tell I'm like, yeah, I definitely missed there. And I promise you, this is not spite, but for me, the biggest bust so far this year, and someone who's like, kind of struggled a lot, Jalen Suggs. He has missed a co- quite a number of games for sure. But he just hasn't been, you know, compared to the other rookies in that top four. Kate Cunningham, like, developing into that number one guy right away. Scotty Barnes playing the way he's playing for the Raptors. Evan Mobley. I could even go possibly Jalen Green here, but I think that Jalen Green has, like, at least been a little bit better than Jalen Suggs. So far this year, 12 points a game, 4 assists, 4 rebounds, 1.5 steal, 36% from the field, and 22% from 3. 
it's been rough for Jalen Suggs, but for me, like so far this year, I kind of have to give them the the unfortunate early bust. I was gonna say Jalen Green, but 15 points a game. Yes, he's averaging 40% from the field, um, 31% from three, but it's better. It's better than Jalen Suggs. And so far this year, Jalen Suggs just hasn't really like gone it going like like to the point that we thought he was gonna be, be at with the Magic. And that's mostly because you know he's sharing the backcourt with Cole Anthony. Marco Fultz is just coming back from injury, so it's very crowded in that in that Magic backcourt. But he could he should have been like in a like you know, he should have been doing doing more already this far the season, and he really hasn't. He's probably gonna prove me wrong in the next two to three years. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that for now. But so far in terms of early season busts, I gotta go Jalen Suggs. I gotta go Jalen Suggs. Brightest future. I do want to talk about brightest future because this is definitely different than rookie of the year. And for me, the person with the brightest future. Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley as like the perfect modern day rookie. Oh, sorry, modern day big. Someone who could stretch the floor a little bit. He hasn't really attempted too many threes, but he's attempting like over one a game, which is good. 14 points a game, eight rebounds, two and a half assists per game, one and a half block. His ability to switch on the perimeter. The fact that this lineup with him and Jared Allen is working so well is a testament to how good of a defender he is. And he's developing a very good offensive game. You could really even make the case for him for rookie of the year. But I just think that this guy, like, have I think he has that potential to have that all-time great career. And for someone who like who just kind of fits the perfect mold of the current big man right now, he's gonna have a long career. He's played 54 games, which is like he's played basically the majority of the season. It's been good for them. It's been a really good. It's been a good, really good season for Evan Mobley, and I think that he him. His defensive ability and then his offensive game is going to get better and better as the years go on. And then that Cavs team playing the, as well as he is, I think they're going to have a really bright future with Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and Darius Garland kind of being the people at the forefront. I'm excited to see how this team develops over the next coming years. But I got to still show some love for the other people with a bright future. Kate Cunningham, I'm going to put here as well just because... He did have a slow start to the season, but you could tell the number one ability of this guy has. 16 points a game, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 40% from the field, 32% from 3. He played really well against the Raptors yesterday, like when we faced him. Um, he he scored 22 points, got 12 rebounds. He got basically that the game-sealing block at the end there, which is really, really good from him. And I think he's just kind of coming to his own, and you can see why the, why the Pistons would draft one number one. You 100% see the reason why they would do that. And honestly, he has like... He, as a 6'9 guard, maybe he'll get better in the defensive end. But he's just going to be just extremely hard to stop. And I think he's going to have a really good career. As probably a number one or two option on that Piston team. And also called shot, shot Scotty Barnes because this guy could do everything. <laughs> this guy could do absolutely everything. And him being able to like um, trust a shot, even though he's missing. The fact that he's willing to take um, some shots. Um, like some shots that we thought that he wasn't even going to take earlier on. It's good to see. And now we're going to go to Rookie of the Year. And I, again, I'm telling you it's not biased. But I just think that for like for what he's doing for the team and kind of how important he has been for this team, I got to put him at Rookie of the Year. I'm going to go Scotty. And I think it's just slightly, just slightly over Evan Mobley. But so far this year, Scotty Barnes has been absolutely phenomenal. 15 points a game, almost 8 rebounds, 3 assists. So good on the defensive end. Almost a steal and a block per game. And being someone who was told that he can't shoot he's normally have an offensive game this guy just fights hard he just fights hard he, i think he leads the um rookies in offensive rebounding as well and just him like every single night 
being able to come out on the court, being trusting him to handle the ball, making the right decision, making the right pass, playing hard in the defensive end. He just he he has taken up this challenge and he has made the most of it. I mean, he's played 54 games. He's missed um, quite a bit this year, but he's looked really good. But he's looked absolutely fantastic. And for this Raptor team, him being there just gives him another element, someone that can like help switch out, someone that they can just develop into the type of guy that Nick Nurse knows that he could be. And he's gained the opportunities and he's taking advantage of them. He's had some like really great games recently as well. Um, just um, reigning um, February Rookie of the Month, by the way. But he's been phenomenal. I think he just gets it right, just just right over Mobley. And that kind of what's helping right now for me and feeling that is that the Cavs are kind of slipping a bit. They are two games ahead of the Raptors, and I think Scotty Barnes on this like if they if he continues this late stretch, you know, gets maybe twenty points per game to finish out the season. I think that's gonna be pretty massive for him, and I think that could ultimately win him Mercury of the Year. But like I said, Evan Mobley is right behind him. I already talked about him for the British future. I still think he's gonna be um, gonna definitely gonna be. I'm not gonna say definitely, but he possibly. Um, I would predict that he would have a better career than Scotty Barnes. He's gonna have a bigger impact. But in terms of Mercury of the Year, I gotta give it to my guy. I gotta give it to my guy, Scotty Barnes. But yeah, that's kind of like my 2021 draft review. Just have like early, early thoughts so far, and I haven't really talked about it. Just a lot of other great players in this draft. Josh Giddy, someone who's probably gonna be top five in like rookie of the year voting. He has been absolutely phenomenal for the for the Thunder. Him and Shade Gilles Alexander is gonna be a damn good backcourt in the future. Kaminga, wait till he gets a chance. He's gonna be absolutely great for the Warriors. A great like he's gonna be like. Part of that New Age Warriors team, he's going to be great. Franz Wagner, honestly, the better rookie than Jalen Suggs for that Orlando Magic team, and he was taking three picks after. He's looked great this year. Yvonne Mitchell is going to get more opportunities. He's looked good. Zaire Williams has had a pretty good role with the Memphis Grizzlies. Book Knight, but he hasn't got to play much. Same thing with Josh Primo. Duarte has had a good role. Kispert's been okay for the Wizards. Shane Good. I could keep going and going. I mean, it's, it's kind of getting like a bit lower now, but Josh Christopher is okay. I guess, like I said, Bones Highland. Cam Thomas has got some good, um, some good moments. Just looking this up and down this roster. Delano Banton in the second round. Someone who is actually doing pretty decent for the Raptors. Kessler Edwards um, filling in for, Brook for Brooklyn. Um, there uh, because of the, a lot of injuries they have. This is a deep draft, and I'm excited to see how these guys are going to develop into the future. And just excited just for like this new crop of NBA talent. It's looking really special, especially in that top area. We're looking at the top, like, honestly, eight eight picks right now. It's going to be a really good draft. I really do think so. Before we move on, here's some like before we finish off this episode. Here's some other new, uh, news and notes from, from around the NBA. New York City's going to lift their um, vaccine passport mandate, which which is actually pretty good. Which means that Kyrie Irving can actually attend Brooklyn Nets games now. But the thing is, the private sector policy has not been lifted, so Kyrie Irving still can't play. And literally, and from the looks of things, like I, I was okay with this at first, but then I realized like people coming into Brooklyn, so not Brooklyn residents that come in can still play even though they haven't been vaccinated. That that just doesn't say where where with me. If they're gonna allow them to play, then <laughs> Kyrie could play too. But if Kyrie's not playing, you shouldn't let those guys play. You gotta you gotta keep it consistent, and I'm not really a big fan of that. I mean, if they're not if they're gonna allow other people who are not vaccinated come to Brooklyn and still be able to play because they're not residents, but then you're not allowing Kyrie Irving to play, it doesn't sit right with me. It's either you lift the whole thing entirely, um, so Kyrie can play as well, or you kind of put those restrictions on the other players as well. You gotta go one way or the other, but the fact that these guys can and Kyrie can't just doesn't sit right with me. 
that should change. But maybe in the future, maybe soon, we could see Kyrie Irving playing some home games. Damian Lillard, yes, Damian Lillard, who has had injury problems this year. There were questions whether he could um, still play f- um, for the season because he has that abdomen injury. He's going to be reevaluated in two to three weeks and just determine what's going to happen there. I say just don't come back, Dave. Tank for the pick, see what pick you got, and then figure out what's going to happen afterwards. But knowing Dame and his competitive attitude, he's, he's going to try to play. He's going to try to play, but I do want to see if he does come back, how him and Anthony Simons um, roll on that backcourt together, because I think that could actually be really, really good. Kemba Walker, him and the Knicks agree that he's going to be sidelined for the rest of the season. Just been a rough year for him. It looked like he was going to be a good star for them. He's going to like find some new life after um, a rough time in Boston. What's even been even more rough um, here with the Knicks. The Knicks have been bad all year. Kim Walker hasn't really found his groove. He's been in and out the lineup. He got benched earlier on, and then he had that great stretch in December where he won Player of the Week, and now he's silent for the rest. I mean, hopefully they can find him a home in summer. In the summer, I don't know where that would be right now, but it just sucks. I mean, Kemba Walker is a likable guy. He's always humble. He always tries to help out the team, but yeah, it just has not looked good. Um, has not looked good for him this year. Maybe he could find some new life somewhere else next season. Really hoping for that. Chris Paul, eight six eight weeks due to a fractured finger, which probably means he's not going to play for the rest of the regular season. The Suns, they currently have a, I think a six or five game lead on the Warriors right now. I know the Warriors lost yesterday too. Seven and a half games. They're going to have the number one seed. They're just going to have the number one seed. I think they, they have just enough. Devin Booker currently is in health and safety protocols as well, so he's going to miss maybe the next few days. But... It's all being out. Look, it's a Chris Paul injury. We're used to it. But if it's, if he's ready for the playoffs, if he's ready for the playoffs, that's all that matters. That's really all that matters. It's the Suns have championship aspirations this year. If he's ready for the playoffs, if he can play by then, they'll be fine. Nothing to worry about for the Suns, and they're not going to lose that number one seed. They're just not. But the Warriors might lose that number two seed. We're going to have to wait and see. But it's about, like, what, 20 games remaining? Yeah, the, the, the Suns are not losing that. And then last but not least, as you know, before we go into that, I do want to kind of mention All-Star Weekend for a bit. It, it was fun. It was a fun weekend. Rising Stars game. Just a quick review on it. Very, very fun. Um, um, very fun idea. Great layup by Deshante to win it. It was just a really fun event. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Saturday night, honestly, was great, barring the, the dunk contest. Skills challenge was fun. Maybe a bit longer. It was maybe a bit too long, but it was still pretty fun. Three-point contest was fantastic. Carl Anthony Towns winning it. That was just a fun, fun watch. But a dunk contest, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was trash. It was it was trash. It was garbaggio. Any other like bad words you could talk about it. Obi Toppin won it, but who really cares? If if this was like a good dunk contest, Obi Toppin would have gone third. He had a good third place dunk contest, but first place, they just couldn't even hit dunks. Uh, eh. Bad. Just, just bad. <laughs> But then the All-Star game was also fun. I think it was like the first two quarters, they kind of split both teams um, for, you know, um, the they um, both teams kind of, what's it called, split it. Um, and then after they tied it for the third quarter, and then LeBron James hit that game winner at the end. Steph Curry hit 16 threes. It was just a fun, fun performance. And just like and it was just, good, just a fun, fun night as well. So, really good All-Star weekend, but that dunk contest was just bad. That dunk that contest was just really, really bad. Yes, and then I think it happened with Scotty Barnes where he just couldn't make a five-footer. Yeah, we, that didn't happen. Ben Simmons, that's the last thing I do want to talk about before we end today's episode. Apparently, he's going to ramp up training next week. Um, he has been dealing with back soreness. 
you could take it with that as you will. <laughs> but he's apparently not going to start like training until next week. So for people waiting to see if he's going to play in that game versus the um, 76ers, let's be honest. If he didn't want to play for them uh, earlier on, he's not going to play against them now. He's gonna get. He's gonna be better. I'm gonna say for the next game. <laughs> I think the next game. Actually, not even the next game. I'm gonna say a week after that. They're gonna try to make, not make it as obvious that he's avoiding the 76 game. They're gonna probably wait another week. He'll probably play somewhere in mid March, and then he'll be good to play. It's just this whole Ben Simmons situation is so weird. I mean, Kevin Durant's coming back tonight, and I honestly thought that when Kevin Durant comes back, that's when Ben Simmons comes back, but apparently not. I don't want to. Uh, like this, this whole situation is weird. It's just like an unprecedented situation. Let's just see what happens when Ben Simmons got back on the court because I've 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 exhausted all my thoughts on it in the past. There's not much I could say. This is just really really weird, and I'm, honestly, it just sucks that he's not playing against Philly because that would have been a fun watch. That would 100 percent been a fun watch. But yeah, those are all the topics from this week. Let me know what you guys think down below of any of them about the Zion contract. Do you think the Pelicans should resign him now? Um, about James Harden and Philly, the um, stuff that's happening in LA. Let me know down below. But I think this is what we're going to today's episode. Thank you guys for watching and listening. Remember to show love on all the podcast channels. Like, share, and subscribe if you are on YouTube. And remember to follow at TV on Basketball on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'll be back next week with another episode to so be on the lookout for that. And again, I just want to thank you guys for all the support you've been given, um, especially on the TikTok, especially on Instagram. I'm still getting put out content for you, um, no matter how many of you guys are watching or listening. It's just, it's just honestly just a fun experience just doing this and just keeping basketball in my life. Watching basketball every single night has just been absolutely fantastic. And I cannot wait for the playoffs to start. It is coming very, very soon next month. But yeah, this is the end of today's episode. Thank you guys for all the support. Hope you have a fantastic day. TV signing out. Take it easy, guys. Peace.